So I wonder this morning that if you have had a life-changing experience, a life-changing experience. One of the life-changing experiences that my wife and I had occurred 13 years ago and 16 years ago this month. We celebrate our children's birthdays. I, I'm, I'm really hollow, and if you can work on that for me, I'd appreciate it. But uh, it was life-changing experience to have our children come into this world um, and now to serve here with us. My daughter's always serving um, by uh, helping out with the video. And, um, but who knew a crying, fussing, pooping machine could turn out to be so wonderful, right? <laughs> you think that about your kids? Yeah, three years before that, Jamie and I um, were married, and uh, the two became one, as the scripture said, and that was a life-changing experience for us. One of the wonderful things that we did when we served in our first church, uh, our pastor had come from a a church in Cleveland in the inner city, and we had served, uh, we had this one-day mission trip opportunity every year where he led us back to where he started in ministry. And we served at a very poor, in a very poor area of the inner city of Cleveland. And we served um, some folks there, um, fed them a meal. Um, we brought all the food down and, and we um, spent some time with the children and everything. And it was just a really rewarding experience. It was life changing. When you um, see, um, you know, kind of get out of your bubble, it was a definitely a different experience. Now, about 10 years ago, uh, after we had our um, children and they were still young, we went on a family mission trip, which was a one-day mission trip into a city or a, um, a neighborhood in Detroit that was a lot of vacant houses, a lot of rundown houses, and we cleaned uh, one of them up, and we, and we again, had a big f- um, food thing, ministered to the kids, and we did it as a family, and it happened to fall on my birthday, uh, which was really one of the greatest birthday presents I ever had because it was serving with my family. It was a life-changing experience. About five years ago or so, I went with 10 other folks to Prague, the Czech Republic, and served on a 10-day mission trip. And that was really getting, you talk about going internationally to another place to serve, that was getting out of my comfort zone, kind of getting out of our little bubble that we live in. But we served there, and it was life-changing, just to see how people live in different parts of the world. Now, what do I mean by life-changing? I mean, what is life-changing? You know, it kind of, it's kind of a word that, you know, uh, two words that could mean something different for everyone. What I mean by it in this context is in the, in the context of missions. You see the world differently. You think differently about others. So if you've never been out of your bubble, I call it, you've never been out of your hometown, you've never been out of your state, You don't quite see things from a global perspective or a different perspective. I mean, imagine if you never left Michigan your whole life, right? You might think everywhere in the world, people explain where they live with their hand, right? Or or you might think that people everywhere, when it's 50 degrees, wear shorts and t-shirts. Or you might think that everyone knows how to do a Michigan left. Or it's a sin to drive anything but a GM Chrysler or a Ford, right? Or the the worst one, you might think that everywhere they sell burners pop. They don't. (laughs) But if that's you, if you have that perspective, you kind of need to get out of your bubble. And uh, I asked this question 
to myself as I studied for this message, and I want to ask it to you. What if Jesus never left Nazareth? That was his hometown. What if Jesus never left Nazareth? You wouldn't be a Christian today. Because that was the mission for Jesus. He had to leave Nazareth. God gave him a mission, and it was to get out of Nazareth. And that's my goal today. I want you to get out of your Nazareth. Specifically, I want you to commit to missions. I want you to commit to missions. And I'll explain what that means. I'm not going to pressure you this morning to sell all you have and move to Africa and live with a tribe that doesn't have a Bible in their own language and figure out how to translate it. I wouldn't do that because you'll quit before you even leave, before you even pack. You won't do it. But I want to tell you, nobody pressured Dave and Alex Redford to move their family of seven to Chad, Africa, so that they could translate the Bible in the language of the people that they live with. Nobody pressured them to do that. In fact, they know that being there is God's plan for their life. In fact, the safest place to be at any time is in the center of God's will. Amen? And that's where they are. So how do you commit to missions? What does that look like for you today here in St. Clair Shores? Well, I think you can commit to missions prayerfully. I think you can commit to missions financially. And I think you can do it willfully. See, I want you to pray for the Redford family. I want you to pray for the Gents, for Chris Gents. I want you to pray for the Kohler family. These are missionaries that we know, many of us in this church personally. Maybe you have other missionaries that you pray for. And I want you to give faithfully to Life of Purpose Church a tithe, 10% of your income or more. Because when you do, we turn around and write a check to those missionaries. We send money to them so they can stay in the field and share the gospel with people that they are ministering to. I want you to live out Romans 12 too. You know that verse where it says you can know God's will for your life? I want you to live that out in the way that you would um, do so through missions. You don't have to go on a mission trip to commit to missions. But I promise you, if you ever do go on a mission trip, even if it's for one day, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. And it'll change the way you think. It'll change how you act and respond in the future. And honestly, that's what you need. Because that's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus wants you to do if you're a follower of him. Let's pray. God, help us today to hear this word and let it sink into our hearts. Father, let this not be a message that we quickly dismiss because we don't think we have time or we don't think we have the resources to commit to missions. But Father, may we see that this is an opportunity for us to grow closer to you, actually, to love others, to fulfill your great commission and your great commandment. Father, I pray that you would help us to hear. May your Holy Spirit continue to speak to us as it did through Jamie and the band, that we could worship you today, that we could honor you and obey you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. As you may know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? But he didn't stay in Bethlehem. They moved around early on because of some situations, right? So they followed the Lord's um, plan. God spoke. They moved. And they ended up in Nazareth, 
right? Nazareth was where Jesus lived until he was 30 years old, roughly. And then he started what was known as, or what we know as, through the Gospels, a three-and-a-half-year ministry where he traveled about this area. If you've ever looked at a map of where Jerusalem is and where Nazareth is and where the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, all the things you read about in the Bible, you kind of get a picture of the area that it is and still is even today. Um, You can kind of see, um, I have one cool map where I can peel back a, a transparent layer and see what it was like then and then what it's like now. So it's the how things have changed. But if you look at a map, you recognize that Nazareth was a pretty far distance from Jerusalem. It took quite a bit of walking to get there. Um, and so was the Sea of Galilee. And so we're going to be talking about some of those today. You might think that if Jesus was going to have a ministry um, home base, you might have thought it would be in Nazareth. I mean, after all, it's his hometown, right? I mean, it's his re- that would be his resources, his family, his, his, all of that should be there. But he didn't have it in Nazareth. But then you might think, okay, well then certainly it would have been in Jerusalem. Why, why, why not Jerusalem? I mean, that's the center of worship for Jewish people. That's where the temple is. That's where everybody goes. So clearly he, he, had to have, he should have probably started a, you know, a, a church there, if you will, or a synagogue there in, in Jerusalem. But he didn't. He did it in Galilee, specifically Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. And you wonder, why did he do that? Well, personally, I think Jesus went to Galilee and Capernaum um, by the Sea of Galilee because he wanted to hang out with fishermen and go fishing. That's what I would have done, okay? But I don't think that's exactly why he went there. In the harmony of the Gospels, which is what we're doing for the next year and a half, we're looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together in harmony. And today we touch on all of them to understand why Jesus went to Galilee and what was his mission. What did God call him to do? Why did he leave Nazareth? Why did he go throughout Galilee? The main verse is Mark 1.15. So if you have your Bible, you want to open up to Mark 1.15, we have it on the screen. I'm going to read to you the, the verse before it. It says, after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, and he said these three statements that I'm going to cover for us today. He said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So you're going to see, I'm going to cover each one of those parts. That phrase, by the way, have you heard that before? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You've heard that before, I'm sure, if you've read the gospels. But he says, first of all, in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled. Now, I know if you're a wrestling fan, you might know John Cena and his song, The Time Is Now, right? My time is now. How many of you know that? Just so I know if there's, okay. You know it's fake, right? Wrestling is fake, okay? I was 13, 12, I don't know when I finally admitted it was fake, but I thought it was real for a long time there, folks, all right? But it's fake, all right? They're actors, but they're really big, strong actors, so I wouldn't tell them it's fake in front of them, all right? John Cena said, my time is now. There's a song about it. But Jesus said it first, my time is now, the time is fulfilled, this is, my pl- this is God's plan for my life. Now, how did Jesus know it was time? Like, what was the, the trigger, or what was the alarm that went off so Jesus knew it was time? And the answer to that question, I've kind of shared it already in the message when I preached on Jesus' baptism. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy of the Messiah. 
There's over 300 prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled them all. Well, one of them was to be a priest, our high priest. And the law that Moses gave, right, through God gave through Moses, the law said that a priest had to be how old? 30. 30, that's right. You guys remember, that's very good. So 30 years old to be a priest. Well, when Jesus was 30, he went and got baptized by John, John the Baptist. He was washed and he was anointed. And that was what a priest did. That's what Moses did for Aaron. Washed him, anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized. He came up out of the water. The Holy Spirit anointed him, came down. And then God spoke, right? God told him, right? Spoke to him. You know, this is my son, whom I love. He is highly favored. So Jesus heard this, and he knew that this was the time to go on this mission that he had, this three-and-a-half-year mission. I wonder how you hear God's voice. Do you hear God's voice? And you should say, yes, I hear God's voice, Pastor Matt, because I read my Bible. That's how you hear God's voice. God spoke, right, through men, through the Holy Spirit, to men. As I like to say, God moved the men who moved the pen. The Holy Spirit speaks through you, through God, or God speaks through the Word of God when you read it. So you can hear God. But here's the bigger question. Are you obeying? Are you obeying? Are you hearing what God is saying and then obeying it? Because Jesus said, recorded in the Bible, go and make disciples. That's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Are you going? Are you making disciples? And if you're thinking in your head right now, well, that's your job, (laughs) Pastor Matt. No, it's not. Actually, I'll show you why it's not my job. But are you going in God's timing? I'll ask you that as well. Are you going in his timing? Because timing is everything, as they say, right? So is it time for you? I've seen a lot of new Christians get on fire for God, and they just want to go, 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 and they go on mission, and they kind of leave everything behind, and they don't deal with some of the other stuff that they've had going on in the past, and that can sort of catch up with you and sort of hinder you. There, there has to be that the, the roots have to grow, right? There has to be a foundation in your faith and so on and so forth. But more often than not, I see mature Christians who had a fire at one point, but let it die out. Kind of let it slowly burn out because they never stepped out of their comfort zone. They said, oh, I'll do missions, you know, when I'm done with school. Or I'll do missions when work's not so busy. Or I'll do missions when... Um, you know, it's more convenient for me. It's never going to be more convenient for you. We live in a busy society. Don't let the fire burn out. Don't let that happen to you. Just commit to missions. That's, after all, what I'm trying to get you to do today. Commit to missions. But then, if you're going to commit to it, you've got to prepare for it. Because you're not going to wake up tomorrow and say, all right, I'm leaving next week, 10 days, going here. No, you got to prepare for it. you got to prepare for missions. And how do you prepare for missions? It's really quite simple. You can do it right here. You can do it in your home. You can do it at your work. You can do it at your school. Because missions is just day-to-day ministry. Missions is just day-to-day ministry in another location. Think about it. Your workplace is the mission field. I spent 16 years in the public school 
because that was the mission field that God sent me to. That's why I went back to school after getting an engineering degree to become a teacher because God said to me very clearly, the public school is one of the biggest mission fields in North America. Go there. Serve there. And I did. The mission field. you got to go. you got to prepare for it, though. Missions is just ministry in another location. you got to go, but you got to make disciples. The go part is the missions part. But the make disciples, that's the ministry part. That's what we do here all the time, all throughout the week. Every single day, there's an opportunity to minister to someone. But unfortunately, in a lot of churches, I think, the staff or the leadership does not help you prepare for ministry. There's a lot of leaders, including myself, that oftentimes feel like, you know what, I'm just going to do it because then it gets done the way I want it to get done. You may be able to relate to that, I don't know. But what we need to do is follow the Word of God and what it teaches us when it comes to who should be doing the work. You heard of the 90-10 rule. 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people, right? And that's often true in most organizations. Churches that have a lot of paid staff members should, um, are, are often tend to do most of the work instead of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, which is Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, he gave those leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. If you have your Bible open, I strongly encourage you to underline or highlight Ephesians 4, 12. Equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Who's supposed to do the majority of the work in the church? You all. Or as they say down south, y'all. You're supposed to do it. And the leadership is supposed to equip you to do it, to support you in doing it. Now, don't get me wrong. I still want to do 90% of the work. But I want you to do 90% of the work too. And I know you're thinking the math doesn't add up. But don't argue with me. I'm a math teacher. The point I'm trying to make is, is that we're all called to get off our aspirations and do ministry and missions. Amen? I'm thinking many of you, the time is now. Do it. Just step up. Get your hands dirty because you know what? Ministry can be a little bit messy at times. You start investing into people's lives, it can get messy. But it's rewarding. It's rewarding when God uses you to bless someone else, is it not? You've all been there before, many of you. So, strengthen others too, by the way, when you step up for ministry. You know we're a small church. We only have a couple people on staff. And there's a lot of people in this church that have been doing 90% of the work for a long time. There's a lot of people in this church that wear a lot of hats. And if you were to step up and say, you know what, I want to do some ministry I want to serve. Let me wear one of your hats. They will gladly hand over that hat to you. All those that uh, wear a lot of hats, say amen. That's right. Many hands make light work, as they say, and that certainly applies in ministry. A good case in point, embrace grace. 
right? A new ministry that has begun here to help single pregnant ladies embrace grace. There's a lot of women here are stepping up. They're meeting. They're serving. And they're excited. I remember the first time they got to help one lady. They were so excited. But what about you? Your time is now? I think it probably is. So step up. Inquire. How can I serve? What can I do right now? Then Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now you should know Heaven has come to earth. Jesus came to earth. Heaven has come to earth. When Jesus came to earth, that created urgency. The Messiah has come. Urgency. Do you understand urgency? I do as a basketball coach. To give a basketball reference or a coaching reference, if you've ever played a sport, you'll resonate with this. In the first half, if my team is down by 10, I don't really have that much urgency. It's okay, guys. You're doing fine. Keep it up. Keep working hard. But if it's the fourth quarter and we're down by 10, well, I huddle them up, call a timeout, and say, listen up, boys. you got to play with urgency. Every, Every loose ball matters. Everything counts. You can't take a playoff. Urgency. Do you understand urgency? If you're a student and you have a test tomorrow, you have urgency, right? Sometimes I'd mess with my students, and I'd say, all right, class, listen up. We have a test today. Their heads would whip, like whiplash would occur. Panic over their face. Test today, today? Oh, I'm just kidding. But I got your attention now, so let me talk to you about this. They didn't like me very much when I did that, but I created urgency. If you're an adult with a job that has demanding customers, You understand urgency. If you've been on a long road trip and drank a lot of liquids, your bladder understands urgency. But do you have urgency for the gospel? For sharing the good news about Jesus? Sometimes I think we don't realize that Jesus could come back tomorrow. And yet we just go on living our life like there's always going to be a tomorrow. I don't know about that. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Many Christians sharing the gospel is not even on the radar. Many churches aren't evangelistic. like They don't share their faith. They don't teach their people to share their faith. That's not true here. We do that at Life of Purpose. We want you to share your faith. you got to see it in the Bible. Go and make disciples. Oftentimes, churches, the older they get, the more inward focused they get. Maybe you've been in a church that's, been, that's a lot older. Not in terms of the age of the folks, but just a church that's been there a long time. It can turn inward, and it often does. The people only care about themselves and the programs that they have and their sacred cows and all of that kind of stuff, right? And they don't really care too much anymore about reaching out. But Jesus said, go and make disciples. 50-50. So the leadership of a church has to fight that inward pull and say, you know, we got to get out more, folks. We got to get out. We got to get out of our Nazareth. We got to get out of our bubble. We got to stop thinking so inward. What does our budget reflect? How much is going into outward ministry as opposed to inward ministry? Jesus said, go and make disciples. 
Now, you've got to know about Jesus. When we look at the scriptures here, he could have started a megachurch. By the way, the megachurch is a pretty relatively new phenomenon, if you want to call it that. It's a new thing. To have churches 2,000 in size, that's really quite new. I would say in the last 50, 60, maybe 70 years, that's a newer thing. We look in the Bible, you see house churches a lot of times. You see churches meeting in smaller groups. But look at, look at Matthew 4, 23, 24, and 25. I don't know if you knew this about Jesus or not, but it says, He went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And his fame spread throughout all Syria. This is where, if you know a map, you see how, how widespread his fame was. They brought him from everywhere, sick people, afflicted with diseases and pains, oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics. He healed them all. Great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, from Jerusalem to Judea and beyond the Jordan. Jesus would have had no problem starting a building fundraising campaign. He could have gotten donors from all over, and he could have set up a central place for everybody to come to him. And they would have. They would have filled that synagogue every single day. And I tell you what, Nazareth would have been like first on the list. Build it here, Jesus. Build it in your hometown because nothing ever good comes out of Nazareth. Right? But something could. Let's build a big church here and everybody can come here. But Jesus said no. The mission isn't for everybody just to come to us. The mission is to get the message out. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven has come to earth. People need to believe in me. They need to follow me. And we compromise the mission when we think that everybody just needs to come to us. Every church, I believe, has to have that 50-50 balance. Your time and your money Going out, 50%, and 50% coming in. And this is how Jesus squashed the idea of Nazareth building a megachurch. I'll take you to Luke 4. Luke 4, verse 16. He came to Nazareth. He had built up some popularity. This is about the end of his first year of ministry. He built up this popularity And he went to Nazareth where he was brought up. And with his custom, he went to the synagogue in Nazareth, a place he had gone his whole life. Think about this. His whole life growing up. He stood up and he read. So he was able to read a scripture. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now, you might know about the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in 1946 in some caves, preserved from before the turn of the, century, or the, turn of the, of the um, millennium. In 1946, they discovered the Isaiah scroll, one of the scrolls. And when you look at your Bible and you read Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, they had that on a scroll, and they handed that to Jesus. It was 24 foot long. 24 foot long. I often wonder, like, how did Jesus find Isaiah 61.1, which is what I'm about to read to you? How did he do that? You know, did he do it with flair? You know, like, just let it roll out like the red carpet, find it? Or did he, you know, slowly do it and then build that anticipation? 
I don't know, but he, he, he got to that point and he read, uh, which is verse 18 of Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's reading this prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover the sight to the blind, to set a liberty that, on those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all eyes were fixed on him. They all stared at him. And he says to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled, right in your midst. And they understood what he was saying, right? Because Isaiah was prophesying about the coming Messiah, saying the Holy Spirit would empower him, he would proclaim good news to the poor, he would give people that were blind their sight, and he would give freedom to those that were enslaved in sin. And they all understood what he was saying. This boy they knew, this teenager they knew, this young adult that they knew, for, you know, 30 years, they knew this guy. And now, what is he doing? What is he saying? I'm the Messiah? No way, you're, you're, you're Joseph's son, you're a carpenter. You're not the Messiah. So they didn't trust in him. And then he said something that really ticked them off. Verse 24, he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, and this is the part where you got to understand a little bit of geography to understand what he's saying here. In truth, he says, I tell you, there were many widows. He's going to give them an example from the Old Testament. In Israel, in the days of Elijah, and when the heavens were shut up with rain for three years and six months, no rain, there was a great famine. He says, Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Well, guess what? Zarephath's not in Israel, and this woman is not an Israelite. She's from a foreign land. So in other words, God sent Elijah to a foreigner. Well, that bothered them. Then he says, there were many lepers in Israel when Elisha was a prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Naaman was a foreigner. They heard these things, and the whole synagogue was filled with wrath. They rose up, and they drove him out of town. They brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, and they were going to throw him off the cliff. But get this, verse 30, passing through their midst, he went away. Now, you just got to stop for a second when you read Scripture and picture this in your head. Wait a minute, what just happened here? The people he grew up with just got so mad at him that they mobbed him. They carried him out in a mob to a cliff, and they're about to throw him off the cliff. Now, what happened at that moment in time? Like, did the angel, you know, speak and get their attention? And we didn't. We don't have that detail from Luke. Or did they set him down and say, "We're giving you one last chance." Who are you saying you are now? And if he would have said, you know, I'm the Messiah, they would have pushed him off or something. We don't know that. But what we do know is he just walked right through him. And then he went on to live with urgency. For the next couple to three years, 
He traveled all over Galilee, centered in Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, continuing prophecy by Isaiah, which Matthew records in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, heaven has come to earth. I've come from heaven to earth. I'm the Messiah. Believe in me. So are you sharing the gospel with urgency? I want to encourage you to do that because that's really what missionaries are looking to do on a daily basis. When missionaries are sent wherever they're sent, they're always trying to weave into conversation the good news about Jesus. It's so easy for us to talk about the weather, COVID, the news, fishing, whatever. But do we talk about the gospel with people? Do we share the gospel? Do we let them know that Jesus loves them, that God has a plan for their life? Do we do that on a daily basis? I tell you, my friends, it's the fourth quarter, and we need to live with some urgency. We need to be a church that does this on a regular basis. Finally, Jesus says, repent and believe. Now, you know the word repent means to turn away. And he was referring to sin. Turn from your sin. Believe in the gospel. But I'm telling you this morning, I want you to turn from your excuses. Anybody the king or queen of excuses of why you don't want to do something? Yeah. Turn from your excuses. Commit to missions. Get out of your Nazareth. Make a, uh, make a commitment to it. And maybe it starts with you just committing to ministry here at Life of Purpose. Remember, missions is day-to-day ministry, right? Same thing you, you would do in your church, you can do elsewhere. But maybe you just need to start here. Maybe you just need to step up and serve here first. Or maybe you can do it at your school. Maybe you can do it at your workplace. Is there missions opportunities for you there? Maybe there's something on your heart, been on your heart for a long time. You want to minister to a certain people group, or you want to minister to somebody that's just really on your heart, and you just didn't quite know how to get started, I'm telling you the time is now. Repent from any excuses you've had in the past and get it done. Let's get it started. Make a commitment. I think when you do ministry, it will prepare you for your mission. What is missions? It's just ministry. Ministry that you already love to do or have a heart for, and you just do it in a different location. When you do missions, when you go on a mission, it's life-changing. Changes your view. Helps you see the way God sees. An opportunity I have for you, some of you might want to grab onto this. Every summer, I go on a mission trip. It's not very far. It's actually an easy safe, I know we're always concerned about safety when we go on mission trips, easy, safe mission trip. I go to Albion College because the Fellowship of Christian Athletes has a multi-sport camp there, and I minister to the athletes there. We get anywhere from 200 to 300 athletes, and it's a week long, and they all have their, their sport that they, they get better in, and everybody's a volunteer. Nobody gets paid to be there. And then there's an awesome... Um, basically, it's a, a service every single day, and then they're taught how to read their Bible, they're taught how to pray, they're taught how to um, 
just all kinds of different speakers pouring into them, coaches pouring into them. It's a wonderful opportunity. And honestly, if you know an athlete going into the seventh or all the way up to the twelfth grade, you got to get them. Into, you got to get them to come to this camp. I'm recruiting because there's scholarships available. I just spoke. Um, Tim, who is here this, this year already, he's one of our directors in, in the area, and there's an opportunity for athletes to go. And here's the thing. I'm turning it into a mission trip opportunity because even if you don't coach a sport, if you just want to serve, then you should come. It won't even be about a few hundred dollars for you to come and stay. You get food the whole week. You got a place to stay. It's a dorm room, but you can survive. All right? But you can see me for the details because this could be an opportunity for you to serve and to have a life-changing experience. Or maybe you know another mission opportunity that it's kind of been on your heart, you've kind of been thinking about it, and you want to talk to me about it, then we can talk. Okay? It could be a one-day trip, a week, I don't know, whatever it is, local, out of state, out of country, but let's do it. Let's help you do it. Let's make a commitment. Prayerfully, financially, willfully, Let's commit to missions. Missions is life-changing. Gets you out of your Nazareth. If you want to commit to that, I just ask you to just kind of pray silently as I pray and close the message out. Father, may today be a day where we commit in our heart to you to serve faithfully. Father, I pray that we would, that we would honor you with our whole life. That we wouldn't hold back that we would serve, that we would love others, that we would want to do missions. And God, we may look and say, there's just no way. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I don't know how I could ever make this happen. But God, with, with you, all things are possible. And if our heart is in it, then you'll provide a way. God, help us to trust you, that we can serve, that we can commit Whatever resources we have, we can commit to going on mission for you and loving others. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen.